This is the La Brea Purveya, and I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips. You, dear La Breyers, have made it happen. Not only did the show return on January 31st, which was an up, we found out that there wasn't going to be a new one until Valentine's Day, which was a down. But then we also were rewarded with the fact that there's going to be a season three. It's a roller coaster romance with La Brea, but at least it's not Gavin, Levi, and Eve, you know what I mean? I have to say right off the top that I am not a fan of the mid-season hiatus. I found myself struggling to remember characters' names, for example, but I understand that the February 7th postponement for the State of the Union is patriotically important. But that's not the end of the La Brea news that came out this past week. There's actually a little bit more, more that shook the La Brea community. But I'm going to save that for the In the Media Review section, because I know how to tease. So we have a lot of stuff to cover with back-to-back episodes, and in a preview for the next episode, someone returns in a portal, and it's probably Levi. I mean, who else could return? But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Episode Recap Episode 8 is called Stampede, so it shouldn't be any surprise that a stampede of buffalo are threatening the camp, and somehow they make it feel like that's the B-plot of the episode. We're working off of three stories here breaking the portal, fighting a stampede, and making jewelry. As we know, the Harrises, Eve, Gavin, Josh, Izzy, the Velezes, Sam and Riley, and Caroline, who I guess is kind of one of the Harrises, jumped back from 1988 to break the time machine that lives in the Lazarus building. These time terrorists end up discussing what we've already expected them to know and discuss. They're deciding to break the portal and strand everyone in the clearing in 10,000 BC so that they can save people from across time from falling into other sinkholes. Caroline seems cold in her decision, but in a way, Sam is kind of acting like this is the first time he's ever heard the plan. And despite his ability to overcome anxiety in one episode... He starts to make destructive decisions in this one that could affect everyone. So Gavin and Izzy head into the Lazarus building while the rest go off to find some computer terminal in the woods. While on their own, Izzy asks her dad if he's getting back together with her mom. It's kind of cute, but also kind of sad. Instead of offering a direct answer, Gavin tells her about his vision, about how Eve is probably going to die under a tree with red blossoms or leaves. By now, he's also told Eve that he had this vision too, but he waited until they got to 10,000 BC to tell her. Izzy is a confused wreck 99% of the time, so she really doesn't need this kind of baggage dropped on her. But they proceed with the plan. That is, Gavin cuts himself so that he can go into the building for medical help. Once inside, Izzy meets her grandfather, James. And James is buying the story about Gavin getting cut and needing medical help but he separates Gavin from Izzy. Kira, the hot head of security and operations officer, takes Gavin to the infirmary, while James takes Izzy on a tour of the facilities. Those two bond a bit, but Izzy sees that red tree that Gavin saw in his visions. It seems like everybody actually saw Gavin's vision because everybody can identify these trees without any issues. In addition, Izzy learns that this tree In addition, Izzy learns that this tree only grows in this time period. Don't forget that. Gavin gets treated for his cut, and he gets a shot that inoculates him against every disease from 10,000 BC all the way to 2076. It looks like La Brea writers were paying attention. 
Historian Richard Carrier tells Wired, The problem with time travel is that if you went back in time, you would probably wipe out the whole population then, and they would probably kill you within months with viruses that you have no immunity to. Among the diseases that one could expect from foods prepared before the 20th century, intestinal worms, other parasites, tuberculosis and botulism, dysentery, cholera, and typhus, smallpox, cowpox, and variations of influenza unknown to modern times. And don't forget the highly contagious leprosy and the plague. Now, the next part of this is a little unexpected to me. I guess Gavin thought that he would have his way all over the building and do whatever he wants, but Kira is keeping an eye on him. Since she won't take that eye off of him, Gavin grabs a taser off of a guard and holds her hostage to gain entry into the portal room. He's able to activate a connection to the computer terminal in the woods where Caroline begins activating the virus that she brought. We still use USB in 2076. It's a solid protocol. But in a moment, the screen begins to flicker. It's Sam. He's somehow beating a power transformer or something, like it's a box with wires that's in the woods. And he's trying to sabotage the effort so that he can stand a chance at keeping the portal working so that he could get back to his family in 2021. At the same time, so much happening, an aurora opens in the sky and starts spilling water and fish. By way of Josh, I believe, people at the clearing speculate that it's the Santa Monica hole that was supposed to open. But eventually, Riley and Eve talk Sam down and the aurora closes meaning that the instance of time travel that was supposed to happen and cause a tidal wave in Santa Monica didn't happen. But back at the portal machine, Gavin might stop the virus from installing because James says that he is so close to stabilizing time travel so that there won't be any sinkholes that affect other people. And Izzy rings in with her discovery about the tree and it only growing in 10,000 BC. It all clicks for Gavin. If the time machine stays working... They can get Eve out of 10,000 BC, and she won't die by a red tree because they don't exist wherever they would land. So he cuts off the virus upload, but some damage has been done already. So James has to fix that, and he has to find some extra pages from a scientist who almost stabilized the process. That guy is Dr. Harold Morris, who is friends with Caroline. A second story that happens in the episode is that Ty wants to marry Para, which we knew. But he wants Ella to make him a ring for her. Since Ella has absolutely nothing to do, she takes on the task. She remembers a mine nearby with some cool gems in it, so she enlists Veronica to help her explore. Weirdly, Veronica is smiling. It's kind of unusual in the show, but if you've ever been in love, then you get it. Ella reminds Veronica that falling in love and throwing out reminders of their captor isn't going to erase their shared trauma, which is true, but also rude. Let Veronica have a day of being happy. She deserves that. Anyway, while they're exploring the caves, they find a tree with red flowers. You know, we're just going to call that the Eve tree now. Ella says it's a tree that their captor, Aaron, always made them draw. Ella wants to find out what the flowers mean. What kind of tree is this? Why did Aaron make them draw it? And if they only grow in 10,000 BC, does that mean their captor is from 10,000 BC? You know, this is getting completely out of hand. So many questions. And Veronica shuts them all down, pulls a gem from a wall, and she's like, let's get out of here. The third storyline in the episode is the title. At the clearing, we meet some rando guy named Wyatt. He works in construction, but has some sharp words for Lucas. See, Lucas's hand is still paralyzed from the whole stun gun disease thing, and he's learning to adjust to his new disability. 
He's trying to help, but he's also trying to find footing in this new normal that he lives in. And he's not the only one. Ty's brain pains continue, and he ends up passing out later on in the episode. And Scott is afflicted with guilt that will catch up to him soon. But for now, he's just trying to be all-around helpful with moral support and physical support. Oh, and Judah's still there. Scott discovers that Buffalo are heading toward the clearing in a stampede, so they're all going to be smashed unless someone gets a good idea. Jonah's idea is to run and abandon the camp, but they've built up so much already that they don't want to start over somewhere else. So Lucas suggests that they should build a wall of burning tar that would scare Buffalo and divert them around the camp. I mean... Okay, yeah, sure. Oh, and Josh returns too. He sprained his ankle when he fell through the portal, so Scott has him rest on the bus for a bit. Scott is, like, so happy to see him, and Josh is trying to keep the larger story about breaking the time machine to himself. He doesn't want to upset anyone, but eventually it does come out. So while they're trying to create a wall of fire from a makeshift gutter line of open tubing, there's a personality clash between the new guy, Wyatt, and our old friend from the caves, Virgil. But ultimately, the Clearing Clan is able to build this wall of tar. Fire should scare the buffalo and divert them around the camp. They'll do that at full speed while making a turn on a dime, too. It all looks like everything's going to be fine, except it starts raining. Except it's not rain. Remember how the sky opened and it rained water and fish? Yeah, so that puts the tar out and the buffalo are still coming. They turn to Lucas for guidance because no one else seems to have any ideas, and he says that they need to honk car horns and bang on things. Noise scares the buffalo, and they do end up running around the clearing. Hey, go buffalo! Yes, the sound and power of buffalo stampeding will shake the ground and cause a lot of noise. Could the bison hear car horns over their own motion? I don't know. I wonder it, but I don't know. In a 2017 bison escape, WMUR in New Hampshire reported speculation that roadwork nearby may have scared the buffalo, resulting in the stampede. But a car horn is pretty far from a jackhammer. As I said before, after all of this, Ty faints. Sam tells the clearing people about how the time terrorist gang plans to destroy the machine, but it didn't work, which makes some of the people in the clearing very upset because they didn't get a chance to chime in on the matter. Many are opposed and would prefer to go back home through a working time machine. And off in the distance, Riley screams when she finds Wyatt dead. Everyone comes to see what's up and they're like, Oh, Wyatt. There's also a symbol by Wyatt, presumably drawn in the mud in his dying moments. Scott gets a little cagey because he recognizes it, but he doesn't admit it yet. Who would murder Wyatt? There's a symbol in the dirt. Anyone recognize it? Never seen it before. But who would do something like this? Could have been anyone here. You think someone from the clearing killed Wyatt? How much do we really know each other? Sure, but there are other suspects to consider, right? The people from the building? The exiles? Agreed. Till we know more, we need to consider everyone a potential suspect. Eve embarks on setting up a perimeter search to find out who killed Wyatt. But it's a short search because she gets pushed into a hole. Like a deep hole that leads to some caves. When she looks up, she sees another one of those red-leafed eave trees. They're everywhere. She could die anywhere. Panic! Don't panic! Don't panic! <laughs> She's stuck in place by a heavy boulder, but she has company, a cute little bunny. It's not a giant prehistoric bunny, which is disappointing. 
Throughout the episode, when we need a break from the Time Machine team, Scott and Lucas go around interrogating suspects in Wyatt's murder. They hit up Caroline first, since she's new to them. But Gavin moves them along and says, Hey mom, we need to find your buddy Dr. Moore's place. He also lays a lot of guilt on her about how she wasn't around for him, but now she can be. So they go looking and they find Dr. Moore. He's a skeleton. Caroline can tell that it's him because of a ring. Remember, rings last for several millennia. But that's not the only hardware. Josh sticks his hand into Moore's guts and finds a key. Josh and Gavin automatically assume that the key must go to a cave nearby, where Moore's notes are locked up. As Sam searches for clues in Wyatt's murder, they come across some blood and part of Wyatt's shirt. The blood part is fine, but the shirt? Uh, overboard? Lucas sets his sights on Virgil as a prime suspect. This is because he has a bunch of knives, and his set of knives is missing a 7-inch blade, which is about how big Sam estimated the blade that killed Wyatt was. In some ways, it's almost too convenient, but Lucas detains Virgil anyway. Later, Scott tells Sam that he thinks it's Tammet, because, you know, Scott made that deal to save Lucas's life, and Tammet did tell everyone that he was going to come back and murder them all. Then, Ty and Izzy find the knife that killed Wyatt, which means Virgil couldn't have done it. So Lucas has to apologize. He's reluctant because it's hard to be wrong about things. But in the final moments of the show, Virgil burned some sort of patch of an animal pelt with the same symbol on it that Wyatt drew in the dirt. The symbol of the Exiles. Or at least maybe some of them. In Eve's cave, she shoots a flare, which wakes up a bear. That rhymes. Then she tricks the bear with some jerky sticks and gets it to move the boulder. She grabs the bunny and heads out of the cave. She's perfectly fine. She only needs rest and she'll be good. The boulder did nothing to her leg. Half of the Time Machine team find Dr. Moore's notes, and Caroline thinks that she can finish what's missing from them. But... Uh, Riley, wait. No one can know about this but us. Why? If we share this with Gavin, it'll end up with James. I promise you, it will not end well for anyone. You want me to keep this a secret until you know exactly what you're dealing with. Now, Riley has to keep a secret with Caroline. So many secrets. In a what-took-so-long twist, Ty goes to the Lazarus building, towards the end of the episode, to get help for his brain. James meets with him and he's like, Oh yeah, we have the cure for cancer. Do you want it? But since it's coming from the man in the tower, who drinks wine, and is eating what I think is supposed to be steak, Ty assumes that there must be a catch. And there is. Ty has to be James's therapist. He takes the deal because Ty is willing to help anybody in the first place, and he wants to marry Para and live happily ever after. And before the episode comes to a close, Gavin and Eve vow to each other that they will take this whole Eve's gonna die situation on together. And Gavin holds up the key from Dr. Moore's guts, one that looks like it's used to wind a grandfather clock, and he says, I believe this key will get you home. What just happened? First, I want to ask, is Sam okay? In an effort to have two separate good and bad sides, the show makes Sam seem very unstable, because most of the time he's with everyone else, but when he breaks, he breaks hard. In these two episodes alone, he almost breaks the power source of a woodland computer that talks to the Lazarus building, and he tells the Clearing Clan about the Time Machine team trying to destroy the Time Machine. That made many Clearing people upset, including Lucas. 
So why do we keep doing all of this with Sam? Every time the show uses him to create drama, it makes him more and more unreliable. So why bother anymore? That's a very good question. And speaking of why, why would the Exiles kill Wyatt? Towards the end of the episode, it's implied that Virgil may have actually killed Wyatt. And if that's because they argued over their wall of tar, then Virgil is not the man that we met in the caves. So is Virgil like a double agent for the Exiles who just happened to murder a guy who gave him some trouble? Or is this a more organized effort that will become clearer in the next episode? That's a very good question. And let's play the game that the producers want us to play and ask, who could return next episode? I'll tell you who it's not. It's not Silas. It's not Tony or Billy or Officer Baker, the traffic cop, because they're already in 10,000 BC. We just don't get to see them anymore. It's not Dr. Sophia Nathan. She was never there in the first place. It's not her lover, Diana, because she's dead. It's not my man, Franklin Marsh. It's not Jonathan, Diana's research partner, or Aldridge, though any of the dead returning are preferable to Levi returning. But you know what? It is Levi, and I can tell it's him because he's got a backpack, and for all of his annoying romance crap, Levi is the only character who would step into a portal prepared. Gavin has been back and forth in that portal twice, and he can't even bring some canned goods for the clearing people. That's a very good question. How long did it take for Dr. Harold Morris to turn into a clothed skeleton? According to the Gospel of Wikipedia, in a temperate climate, it usually requires three weeks to several years for a body to completely decompose into a skeleton, depending on factors such as temperature, humidity, presence of insects, and submerges in a substrate such as water. In tropical climates, skeletonization can occur in weeks, while in tundra areas, skeletonization may take years or may never occur if freezing temperatures persist. So let's use this answer to bloom a new question. How long has it been since the La Brea Hole dropped everybody there? How long has James been there? How long has Parr's people been there? You'd think that I would have the answer to that, but with all these time jumps and the commercials that you have to sit through when you're watching the show on Peacock, I just don't have the time to figure it out. That's a very good question. And let's just take a moment to revisit the whole Aaron situation. Aaron is the man who captured and manipulated Veronica and Lily. He knew those red-leafed trees from, quote, where he came from, and they only grow in 10,000 BC, so logic dictates that Aaron is from 10,000 BC. So I guess my question is, what the f***? One person on the La Brea subreddit already proposed the wild idea, what if Lucas is Aaron? I'm not buying into that, though I like the creativity. But what are we trying to accomplish with this reveal? It gives Ella and Veronica more stakes, so that's good, but it also is really out of place. They're going from victims of circumstance to victims of a time-traveling predator. I feel like this takes the power away from their journey. Veronica is trying to move on, but that doesn't mean she ignored what happened to her. She acknowledged it, but she didn't discover why it happened to her. I think that's fairly healthy. Acknowledge it and move on from your captor rather than trying to understand him. If you understand him, you're almost a step away from rationalizing it. And while Ella is on a different path to healing, why does she have to drag Veronica with her? That's a very good question. Digging deeper. It may not seem like it, but for me, this episode's going a little long, so we're going to dig deeper on Judah. He's an accountant. He started as a gloomy Gus who poo-pooed everyone's hope, but now he's just a guy who whines a lot. 
It feels like he wants to be in charge, but it also seems like he's too hopeless to make good decisions. He's played by Damien Fotio, who is in Kangaroo Jack, which I think is wonderful. And he was in over 200 episodes of the Australian soap opera, The Neighbors. Aside from that, he's had a lot of small roles in things over the years. He looks a lot better without long hair, and that's all I got. He's a ghost on social media. In the media reviews. As I said at the top, La Brea will return for a third season. Deadline says, quote, The series has been a strong performer for NBC. Season 1, which debuted in September 2021, was the number one new show of the fall season in the ad-friendly 18-49 to demographic. It was also the top drama of the entire 2021-22 TV season. The season 2 premiere brought in about 4 million live and same-day viewers on September 27th, 2022. Except hours later, Deadline's Nelly Andreva added some more heat to the fire. And since I'm not an entertainment insider, I'm going to share exactly what she said. NBC earlier today announced that sci-fi drama La Brea has been renewed for a third season. I have learned that the pickup is for six episodes and that it was influenced by the possibility of a writer and or directors and actors strike, with this likely being the show's final chapter. Filming is slated to begin in March in Australia. I hear that NBC approached the cast of La Brea about doing a short third season. Because the series regulars have a 10-episode minimum guarantee, meaning that they have to be paid at least 10 episodic fees a season, regardless of how many episodes are produced, the network and sister studio Universal Television asked the cast to reduce their contractual minimum guarantees to six episodes, sources say. In exchange, I hear that the actors were offered a release from the show after season three, which they took, making them available to take other jobs. A typical broadcast series regular contract is for six seasons. Now this means that La Brea would most likely end with season three. There is a small chance that the show could continue beyond that with a new family played by a new cast. The possibility of strikes is expected to boost the renewal chances of other series like La Brea, which are facing cancellation this season, as they could get episodes written and possibly produced ahead of potential work stoppage, getting them ready for the fall. So, unfortunately for us, this is bittersweet. And we're going to need a little bit of time to process it. There's no reason for despair. If anything, we'll get an actual written ending to the show that we enjoy. Or maybe, just maybe... We'll lose the Harrises, and some other clearing folks will get a chance to shine. So thanks for hanging out with me this episode. I'll keep bringing you recaps and deep dives, and you can keep coming back. That's a good deal for us. If you like what you're listening to, you can rate us somewhere. If you have any questions or ideas for the show, please reach out via email at shout at yallheard.me. That's the email address for the parent podcast of this show, which is called Y'all Heard. If you have a dollar to spare, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash y'all heard. Otherwise, enjoy yourself and set aside a little bit of time to plan a romantic evening for someone you love when La Brea returns again on February 14th. Mm-hmm.